welcome to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico, and joining me is... Scotty Hertz, having narrowly survived being accosted by a chipmunk today, came right up to me and was like, it was really, I had a moment, I had a nature moment today. I don't know if it was entirely natural, but uh, those guys are getting very brazen, very brazen. (laughs) He's like, give me all your nuts. Yeah, I think so. Give me all your nuts and no one gets hurt. I don't know why. Trail trail mix or something, this is trail mix smell. I don't know why this chipmunk has a New Jersey accent in Guelph, but... Uh... It's, it's entirely possible. <laughs> yeah, you never know. Hey, you! <laughs> Some nuts! Hey, you! Give me them nuts! Anyway. Oh, open get... source... <laughs> <laughs> Scan it! <laughs> it's Earth August. still safe, right? We can do that? Yeah. It's August. Nobody's listening anyway. Anyway. Oh! <laughs> open source is CFRU's political and current affairs discussion show. And we are here every Thursday at 5 p.m. to talk about the latest news items from Guelph, Ontario, Canada, and around the world, and sometimes interview local newsmakers and politicians. This week, though, we're just doing the news, uh, including Ontario Place, that famous Toronto waterfront attraction, which has been a failing asset for a long time now. But does the Ford government have the plan to turn it around? And then we'll go to Alberta, which is winding down all COVID restrictions while at the same time provoking a fight with healthcare workers. So uh, are they creating the perfect recipe for the COVID uh, Delta variant? And then finally, Stephen Harper is making news. But what about the people who want him to make that comeback? We will talk about that at the end of the show. uh, Because theoretically, that does tie into our first topic, which is... um, the still growing possibility that there's going to be a fall election call. We are in August now, and uh, while our friends south of the border eagerly await the return of Donald Trump, uh, we are eagerly awaiting an election call here in Canada. And I would say one of those things is more likely to happen than the other. Mm-hmm. And not really a, <laughs> the worst kept secret in all of politics in Canada right now is you know, when will it be? There's been some speculation that it might I don't know why they picked Sunday, August 8th as an announcement day. I'm not sure the significance of that because they usually try and aim for a significant day for everything announcement these days or mm-hmm. the 15th. So the possibilities are uh, September 13th or 20th if you count the 36-day writ period, which is still – it's still summer. It's just I, you know, fall – we keep hearing fall election, but realistically mm-hmm. it's like one – you know, 24 hours <laughs> under the wire – for a fall mm-hmm. election, but you know the pe- people essentially consider anything after Labor Day the fall. I always have, right? It's like, oh, we're on, we're on our way there. It's, although well, still te- technically the, summer, right? But I was going to say the majority of the campaign is is will be summer anyway, because by the time we get to Labor Day, that's back to school time. And given you know the concerns about you know what kids are going to encounter when they go back to school, I think that's probably going to eat up. And an earned amount of focus. So, you know, if the election day does end up being, you know, that second or third week of September, um, I mean, when theoretically people would be tuning back in to pay more attention to politics anyway, people, are, there's going to be a lot of attention for for people's for for people um, outside of politics as it is um, with universities going back and schools going back. So it just, you know, it, it, it'll be an entirely summer campaign anyway. Plus whatever happens with like early voting periods too. 
And that would be super significant this time around because they're going to see a record number of, of mail-ins and other means of voting. Now, supposedly, Elections Canada has a plan in place, mm-hmm. as they would have to. They've seen this coming off in the distance for a while, and they, they have stated that they're ready to go regardless of, of, of when it is. And that should be reassuring, I suppose. I don't think we'll see the same... The mail-in ballots are all garbage thing that we saw in the <laughs> election in the U.S. We handle things like that a little differently up here. Mm-hmm. But something else driving the speculation is that there's been, it sounds like the level of meetings, particularly with liberals in Ottawa, have amped up. They're having mm-hmm. strategic trainings. These are all these little leaks that lead people to say it's coming. And something called um, campaign college. So... <laughs> Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what this college is like, or, but with all of these things being lined up and going on, uh, on behind not so closed doors, it's looking like it's going to happen. Plus, the uh, try. I think they're trying to do a little bit of a miss on the Delta variant. I mean, it, it is with us, but mm-hmm. I think if we see within the next well a week or two weeks, if it just goes straight up. It might not happen, but at the same time, if Elections Canada is as ready as they say they are to handle mail-in ballots, because I did see one report saying that the and it may screw up our election night coverage mm-hmm. if and when that happens, and it probably will. the The count might take a few days because of just because of the the logistics of it, rather than the classic at midnight. It's like, oh my god, it's so and so. So that might be something that'll change this year but we well, have you, to anticipate that it's going to be like the weirdest election we've seen anyway federally they're, they're anticipating like five million mail-in ballots which is like way up from their typical fifty thousand, and apparently they don't count it till after election day um so that they can get as many ballots as possible in on election day or i guess any stragglers in case you know the the, the mail-in is a bit late but it, it yeah, it's that part of it is, I think, definitely going to be different. Um, there's not going to be a clear winner by the time we get to the end of Election Day. So it, much in the same way as what happened in the United States, where it was Saturday. Uh, election Day was Tuesday, and it was Saturday morning. Uh, Joe Biden was a clear victor. But a, a lot of people have been focusing on the Delta variant, and we'll get into this in a bit in the, the very specific case in Alberta. But... We have to keep in mind, like, circumstances are very different up here because of how much vaccination we've had. Mm-hmm. I mean, realizing that Guelph and area is kind of an outlier, but we're almost at 75% fully vaccinated. Um, if we're not there by the time the, the show airs on Thursday at 5 p.m., um, we will probably be there by the end of the week in terms of 75% fully vaccinated, which is the target. That I mean, that that's a little different now with the Delta variant and its high transmissibility and the breakthrough cases and all that, that public health agencies across the country want to be get higher from 75%, but that that, you, that, that at one point was the high watermark. So um, Toronto isn't that far behind itself either. It's like it was at 70% on the weekend. So uh, it just, you know, the, the Delta boogeyman isn't as boogie here, I guess, to borrow a phrase, but it, it, it 
I, I think it's in the back of people's minds. I think in the back of people's minds, and there was a poll released, I think, earlier this week that uh, people asked if people thought the worst of the pandemic was over, and it's still like 50-some-odd of people who think that the worst has, is yet to come, which I'm not saying is irrational, um, because I think there is a pretty big question mark. You know, we were kind of at this point last summer where it's like, okay, we've got it, you know, everything under control. It seems like we've got this licked. And then we come back and for a couple of weeks in the fall, everything's holding steady. And then we start getting into October and there are warning signs. So I guess one of the point I'm getting at is there, there is a big question mark in terms as we get deeper into fall, just how, you know, the, the, the future kind of gets cloudier the further as the further we kind of look as the future usually does, which is probably why the the liberals would and Trudeau would want to go sooner rather than later with uh, a pretty quick clip of an election day too. Uh, just, mm-hmm. you know, and, from the public health perspective. Yeah. And they're pulling another polling is suggesting that they w- they are within reach of a majority for a variety of factors. Um mm-hmm. Uh, and one of which is I did see a little bit about incumbents running and how that might change the calculus a little bit as to as to what writings are in play. But it's looking that way. So, of course, they want to take advantage of uh, of, of something like that. But, yeah, so it's um, it obviously weighing heavy. But yet I, I did see one other poll that, that said and, of course, polls just keep coming. Polls, schmoles, as we've said <laughs> in the past. Right. But. <laughs> There was one that said that among Canadians, healthcare is the top issue. COVID was lower on the list. Now, there is some crossover with those, obviously, but mm. I'm not sure if people are thinking healthcare in terms of everything that's gone on, including long term care, among other things. But as you say, polls are what they are. But if things are pulling that to the liberals that they should go, then they're going to go. And there's there was a little bit of. <clears throat> The, uh, the the conservatives are definitely ready and O'Toole tooting around Alberta and other places with the cowboy hat on. Like he's he's already <laughs> campaigning. Singh did this uh, letter to the governor general saying, "No, don't don't we can, you cannot do this now." But at the same mm-hmm. time, they're def- they're ready as well. Like even though he wrote to the the GG and said, "Look, the new governor general installed mm-hmm. probably partially for this purpose," among other things. Uh, you know, he wrote this letter, but I don't. It's they're they're ready as well. I really, I, th- I think they're all resolved to the fact that this is going to happen. It has to happen eventually, but the uh, the clock is ticking faster. Is that possible? <laughs> well, I mean, well, some of it's just, you know it, it is so false too. I mean, it the timing sucks because I think you know I I don't think any minority governments ever made it through to like the set election date um so that's in 2023 fall 2023 in Mm -hmm. the meantime uh between now and then there is a provincial election here in ontario next spring and um you probably don't want you know one third of the country to be voting in two different elections at the same time or one right after the other. And then in the fall, there's the, the municipal election and you pr- right. don't probably don't want that either. Um, and I mean, it's not all about Ontario, but I mean, that's, um, 
that seems to be the way it's gone. It's like every other province just about has had, not every province, but, you know, uh, two Atlantic provinces last year went to the polls. Mm -hmm. BC went to the polls last year. Saskatchewan went to the polls last year. Um, Like Alberta and Manitoba are still on like their four-year cycles. They have majority governments, so they don't necessarily have to. Um, So, I mean, you know, it's just this is the sweet spot <laughs> and mm-hmm. you may hate, you may hate the politics of it. And there was also a poll this week from nanos. That's like, Oh, like, uh, you know, the vast majority of people either don't care about having an election or they, you know, are really don't want to have an election right now. And it's like, dude, you know, show me a poll ever where people want to have an election. Nobody ever wants <laughs> to have an election unless they're like sick of the dude in charge. But if everything is kind of like, you know, keeping everything like very static and cool. I mean, it's not cool of course, cause there's a pandemic, but I mean, mm-hmm. is it possible? Like is Trudeau doing such a rancid job that people are demanding that he be removed and someone else take his place? No. <clears throat> it- well, and that, that's the key difference with this minority in that minorities usually fall generally mm-hmm. on a confidence motion, but sometimes for other reasons. Whereas this time this, this is just sort of, <laughs> just slumping over, I guess this government's just kind of like, okay, we should probably have an election now. Uh, and that's, that's different. Cause normally it's slam. The minority is gone. And then there's this, this kind of energy there. Whereas this one is, 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 is actually lacking a bit of energy. Really. It's mm. as the polls are reflecting and as everybody, even those of us that speculate about it, it's kind of like, well, yeah, it's going to be not, you know, there's no like, all right, the election's here. It's very, just gonna, it's just going to kind of fade rather than collapse, right? Right, and again, the COVID situation is like, could like, can you imagine if there was a confidence motion or something happens where the government falls in like the middle of like a third wave? Um, it, there, there are only so many variables that can be controlled, and for the time being, it looks like COVID is a variable that is under control. So, do you want to like? the government to fall in like the middle of like a fourth wave or a fifth wave or what have you, or just want like want to go. And it's like, you know, at, at the end of the day, I, I think a lot of people would be ticked if it comes back and it's a liberal yep. minority government again, because it's like, well, what do we do that for? But on and the other hand, um, you know, there would, there would be some assurity there to get pat over the next hurdle that, you know, it, people are, okay with the job trudeau is doing even if they're not wholly confident in it but they're okay with it which i I think is probably the most probable event that's going to come from any election and no party would want to be seen as the ones that teed that up because then they'll just get the plans well you brought the government down and look at this mess right so that's what it would become about it would become about you throwing whoever it is throwing everyone into like the the Delta nightmare that we're not really sure whether it's coming or not, but that's. Uh... But you raised the other point too, though, that like the the way it looks right now, it could likely be another liberal minority. And if you're the conservatives or the NDP and you pull, or even the bloc and you pull that plug, um, and you it comes back with the exact same result, you look bad. Mm-hmm. But if for the Liberal Party, it's either going to be. They pull the plug, they get their majority back, or they pull the plug and they come back with maybe a slightly stronger minority, in which case, you know, they've proved that, you know, this is the setup that the the Canadian people want and thus are able to go forth for at least another year or two without the, the pendulum doom hanging over their head, which is basically what this is all about, is that nobody... <laughs> 
<laughs> it's you know they don't want to govern with you know the you know the the specter of of a confidence motion um mm-hmm. working in the background nobody likes that but you know also at the same time everyone wants to rule like they're a minority or like they're a majority even when they're a minority <sighs> anyway um <laughs> i mean there's, that's there's a so stay many, tuned stay tuned it's, it's a stay tuned i mean there's just so much there's so many factors going into it and going on and everything um Speaking of staying tuned, uh, Ontario Place is finally going to get that uh, that upgrade. Um, only tw- only ten years later, uh, after they 10? shut oh it down, God. yeah, they shut it down <laughs> in twenty twelve um, for uh, for retooling. Uh, the retooling has yet to come, but now there is a plan, courtesy of uh, Doug Ford and uh, the Conservative Party, the Progressive Conservative Party of Ontario. Doug Ford, the man who, and I, I can't believe this didn't not come up in the course of any of the reporting about the Ontario Place plan, but Doug Ford famously in 2014 introduces a plan to uh, basically throw out all the Toronto, the work on the Toronto waterfront proposal and replace it with mini malls and a Ferris wheel. And uh, now... Monorail. (laughs) And a monorail, that's right. It was pretty much everything Springfield did after the failed monorail in March versus the monorail. Popsicle stick skyscraper escalator to nowhere. But uh, yeah, it's... um, it's now Doug Ford's uh, plan to revitalize Ontario Place. Um, not terribly inspiring, though, uh, it should be noted. No, it is kind of <clears throat> a little bit of more of the same. It's a lot of more of the same. But the, the, one of the key differences here, and they'll insist that they're not privatizing the space. It belongs to the people of Ontario. It sort of does. Mm-hmm. So they're carving it up into pieces with the uh, the... Budweiser stage, whatever the heck it's going to be called. Um, t- to me, I think that was one of those that know Toronto and know Ontario Place. It was the mid-90s when they put that in, and it kind of blew a hole in the whole setup. Mm-hmm. You've, you've been to Ontario Place, obviously, Adam, mm-hmm. enough times. And it used to be that you could move seamlessly between all of the, the stuff that was there, including the, uh, the stage, the forum, the Ontario Place forum, the rotating, the unique rotating stage that they had so everybody got a good view for part of the time and then once they did that the decline happened the, the decline was already it some would argue that it started to decline from the beginning because it's never really op, it's never op, operated um it's never really made any money right mm-hmm. but when you build these types of infrastructure that are run by the province or run by the state let's say uh they they just don't it, it's it's very tough to do Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the time, you know, things are very different from 1971. This, this Ontario place was an echo of Expo 67. And actually, when I first went there as a kid, I thought that's where we were. <laughs> when you're young, you know, your concepts of things, because people were still talking, oh, Expo, Expo. And then it's like, this was like a baby version. But when you're a kid, everything's huge, right? Mm-hmm. But this, the, the, the main change, I think, is that initially, and, and in the days when you would just sort of go with a family to do something, all of this events-driven stuff, including the grown wellness resort that they're putting yeah. in, is total. Like, it, you make these improvements, and then when wellness is is has expired in terms of people's interest, and in it, it's like, ah, I don't know if I'm going to go to the spa. Um, but I guess you could <laughs> say that about any of the things, any of the changes that were done to Ontario Place over the years. It's like it's great for a while, and it's new, and it'll draw people in. 
And those most recent, the, that most recent overhaul, which wasn't that long ago, and they put in some kind of new water park in that, and things were beginning to pick up again, and then it just slammed shut again, right? So this this is the challenge. It should be a perfect space for something, but when it when it it kind of allows any government to make the arguments like, well, I don't know if we should really be in this business because there are other organizations out there that can build events that people be more interested. I'm thinking along the lines of Canada's Wonderland, right? Because I think when that mm-hmm. appeared, that was the beginning of the decline for Ontario Place, right? And how do I, Canada's Wonderland does the same thing. They just introduce you know, a roller coaster, and then next year there's another one and another one. They just continuously, even if it's just one ride, people will go for that one thing and then do all the other stuff. But I don't think there's a Smurf Village anymore, is there? <laughs> no, I don't think so. I, I, like, oh, jeez, I haven't been to Wonderland. <laughs> I, mean, I can't remember. Ago, right? I, like, I haven't, I haven't been to Wonderland in at least a Kids decade. eating blue ice cream, it's like, and then, you know, kids don't eat blue ice cream anymore. They eat kale, right? I don't know. But this is the thing, is like, Wonderland, I've, I've been to Wonderland more than I've been to Ontario Place, but Wonderland had this wonderful kind of, like, hodgepodge feel like it was wonderland for years then it was paramount canada's wonderland so they like worked in like having klingons wandering around yeah, great star trek stage musical stage show <laughs> right right and then like yeah. they had like top gun the ride and days of thunder the ride but it was like right there next to like hanna barbera land where you you know, hung out with the smurfs and went on the scooby-doo uh, roller coaster and um oh yeah turned the total fanboys here <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah no yeah no it, it was the yeah. coaster coaster you're right yeah, yeah. um <laughs> But I mean, it, it was just, it was happening. It was just, you know, they would just add whatever worked. And what they're trying to do is like reverse engineer like something with Ontario Place. And they're organizing it around like basically, again, as you said, they're not like, we're not, we're not privatizing it. But when you have like three different concepts and they're all tied to three different big companies, it's like, well, what does, what else is it supposed to look like? And on top of that, you have the Thermae Group which is European and this is the wellness pavilion. Um, and I, I was reading, I was reading their website and it's like, we create advanced entertainment and well-being destinations for a healthy and sustainable vacation. I was just like, Oh my, I was just like KMN KMN. This is, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I'm already, I'm already not booking my vacation at the Thermae group pavilion. And then, uh, yeah, Live Nation gets the the other part with the Live Nation stage. Live Nation's a California company. The only Canadian company involved in this is from Quebec, and it is um, the Ecorior. I I can't pronounce it, but it's like they they do like adventure. It's one of those made up but sounds French names, right? Yeah, it's exactly. Like, yeah, Portmanteau. It's it's a it's a definite portmanteau, but um you know and this company rents out you know sporting equipment like for mountain climbing and for kayaking and biking and and all these sorts of things. It's like you went into a focus group and like you know somebody told you that this the the Ontario place needs Zork and then you put out a a call for proposals like we need the Zorkish companies to to bring us their proposals <laughs> and it could be worse <laughs> and it's just like this is what you get and and Matt Elliott you know wrote in the star he, 
you know, this should have been a public process. It's, it's a public yeah. amenity. It's like, what would draw you back to Ontario place? Because there's a lot of stuff going on in Toronto um, that, that attract people for different reasons. Like I'm thinking about the Ripley's Aquarium, uh, mm-hmm. like CN Tower. What what can you get at Ontario place that you don't get at, like you said, Canada's Wonderland or, um, you know, in terms of like attractions, uh like taste of the danforth like what is it what could you get at ontario place that you could not get at anywhere else that draws tourists in toronto and it seems like that work has never or it seems like the answer they come up with is super expensive concerts a well-being staycation and like some rock climbing on a on an indoor wall it's like no this this i mean it's not as bad as like the ferris wheel and <laughs> strip malls Mario. that Ford wanted on the yeah. <laughs> on on the waterfront, but it's not much better. And it's just like if it's if the, like first of all, the thing has been closed since 2012. They put out the call the the request for proposals in 2019, and then in 2021, and Elliot had the count. It's like 675 days since the request for proposals period closed. This is what we get. It is remarkably unimpressive, but it was so elaborately staged to be like, this is going to blow your socks off. And is it any wonder that Brian Lilly was kind of the only one that, that went, he nailed it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just like, no, he didn't nail it. This is, I, I'm not sure who asked for this, but I'm pretty sure this is somebody's idea of, uh, somebody in a focus group's idea oh, of what yes. happened. Well, we could, we could probably avoid the Brian... <laughs> Lily commentary because we know where that's going to go. But Ford did say something that, and actually, our conversation is reflective of it because he said we want to bring back the experience you remember. Mm-hmm. But and I think ev- memory is is a is a heavy thing with stuff like this. But that everything that's being described, with maybe the exception of the concerts, uh, isn't really what I remember there. Uh, Ontario Place to be just kind of a. And they had that crazy fun park for the kids, but it was it was a, it was a gentle thing. But it was also, and this was important to my parents and lots of families. It was affordable. Mm-hmm. Right? It, it's a park. You go to the park. My folks always took the the tea and sandwiches. You could bring that kind of stuff in. Right way back, the shows at the farm. You could smuggle things in, uh, food and and whatnot, and it was. You probably weren't supposed to, but it was overlooked. And then the first time I went to a show at the, uh, it was the Molson stage at the one point there. It was a, it was a hosing then, and that was like twenty years ago. I felt hosed. <laughs> but they're like, well, this is where everything is going, so this is what you have to pay, which defeats the purpose to me of the whole place. If in in the early seventies they created this space for, as they said, it's for the people of Ontario. Right, mm-hmm. you're using public money to create a public good and public space. Now the public space of the 155 acres of Bonafide Park of just free park is down to eight, which is that the uh, Trillium is it called the Trillium Trail? No, the William G. Davis Trail and Trillium Park. We're reading. Right. I, yeah. I was that's the last thing I was ever out down there. Actually, it wasn't that long before the um, pandemic. Which are such 80s Ontario names. It's the yeah, we're oh, going to name it after Bill sure, Davis, right? And Trillium Park. Did, yeah. Davis cut the ribbon on on Ontario Place, so it's it's right. you know it's understandable. But yeah. that and it's that park does need a bit of jazzing up as well. But they the Liberals, the previous Liberal government of uh, the the of Win McGinty, um, spent the money on that, and it's really nice. And it's probably the peak real estate down there, let's say. And that I I think the one thing that people should be thankful for that it didn't become the uh, 
the condo casino monorail thing that it was going to become. Right. So that, yeah. that's a plus, but these, all of these events and things, stuff that they're putting in is limited time offer stuff with the exception of, uh, concerts. Cause concerts, concerts to me uh, and to most people are forever. Right. But this, the wellness thing and then the, the climbing, uh, experience you were talking about like <laughs> that you do you can only do that so much and if you're not bringing in tourists to go to it who have probably been to the one in bucharest or or paris or wherever the heck the other ones are right yeah yeah did a bit of reading about it it's like it they have a they have a sell-by date these things maybe something will happen and maybe we'll revitalize it but we'll be like we'll be two or three governments in before it opens mm-hmm. and like oh man ontario place this this feels like something yeah i mean yeah this feels like something that's going to get scrapped the minute a new government takes over and then we're going to start the process all over again um but speaking of starting all over again we're going to have to take a quick break and then start all over again with our next two topics you're listening to open sources guelph here on cfru 93.3 fm cfru.ca guelph campus and community radio was our royal cat records pick of the week royal cat records the little big record shop 21 mcdonnell in the downtown and that was from the 45 that (laughs) i think that was the easy listening side it had two sides when the government made records there's a pops version of that as well written by dolores clamen who wrote hockey night in canada and of course the famous give us a place to stand which i think we've played on this show before that is called the theme from Ontario Place. Oh, the days when they wrote themes for stuff, eh? I guess it was about ten years too early for Rock Wazim or Glass Tiger, like the the oh the, yeah the yeah the patron saints of CanCon. <laughs> Heavy on the keyboard and electric drum version, but God, I'd love to hear the Glass Tiger version of that. <laughs> Don't forget about Ontario Place. Yeah, be something like that. I should just write it and then yeah. <laughs> Get a nickel every time it's on. I mean, you know, I don't know where Class Tiger are now, but I'm pretty sure we could probably get them to do it pretty cheap to do a cover. Anyway. Um <laughs> Oh no, it was an angry email being fired off right now. Listen, Fergus or I don't know. Oh could you imagine? Anyway. Uh speaking of heroes, uh Jason Kenny has single handedly defeated COVID al- in Alberta. At least that's I guess what we're supposed to believe because uh they're lifting all COVID restrictions as of August sixteenth. And you might be thinking, like, oh, that just means uh no more masking or no more um, you know, uh, physical distancing no it means uh no more self-isolation if you think you have covid symptoms no more mass testing uh it's kind of shocking that uh perhaps it shouldn't be too terribly shocking considering jason kennedy 
uh, it was like right in the middle of like we're trying to see if we can reopen our economy a little bit at the end of June. He's like, nope, we're going to completely reopen in Canada Day for the Stampede. But uh, this also comes in the midst of uh, fights on several different fronts with Alberta healthcare workers. Um, they're wanting uh, the support staff, so people who work in the labs, uh, janitors, um, food service people, to take a 4% cut. This comes a couple of months after them wanting nurses to take a 3% cut. Uh, nurses are quitting due to uh, possibility of pay cuts plus fatigue from, from COVID. So, you know, <laughs> workers uh, to just, you know, completely taking every COVID precaution off the table. Uh, I don't think I want to be in Alberta some, uh, sometime soon uh, with the way this is going. Well, more than one person and one from the States too called it the Florida of Canada. And I don't think that's <laughs> completely wrong. It's not totally <laughs> fair, I guess, to the people of Alberta, but conceptually it's where it's going. And it was, it's weird. I, in hearing Dr. Hinshaw, I caught some of that when she spoke and some of the reaction, of course, on Twitter and other places, like, is she okay? Like, is everything okay? Because mm-hmm. uh, it was like, did I hear that right? You don't have to isolate if you have COVID? I'm like, what are you doing? Right? Mm-hmm. Every, all of the science and, and everywhere that's making sense and keeping this thing at bay is saying, don't do that. And then... It was teed up by Shandro and Kenny, I think on the same day, it was like, well, we're just doing what Dr. Hinshaw said. She said it would be okay. So that it just yeah. seems really weird. I'm not sure if, if she's been told. It's like, you ha- you're going to, this is what it seems like to me. In my opinion, it's like, you're going to do this. Your, you know, your career in this position is probably over when this is all over. You're going to do this. And then we are just going to blame you. For anything that happens, but also yeah. at the same time, pretend that COVID is done. And that's what seems from stampede on. That's what seems to be the driver here. It's like, well, you know, vaccines, 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 which is good. That is good that they're, they're not anti-vax as well, even though a massive contingent of people there are like yeah. really big. Yeah, But th- there's, there's also weirdly these. It's not even counter protests is a different set of protests right now. People that are saying. We need to keep these restrictions. Everyone from parents with children, doctors out. Like, there's these, I'm going to call them counter protests because there's been so many. It's like, and the lockdowns. Yeah. And the freedom to not wear a mask. But, you know, the counterpoint to that is like, if you, well, if you believe in freedom, they should let people freely wear masks and leave them the hell alone. Right. <laughs> but so the, 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 the widespread reaction to this in many, quarters has been what the hell right that's i've heard that more than once from doctors from experts like what what just what are you doing here yeah and it's like the all the post media papers are unloading on kenny which is like you know it's Mm. bad it's like you know the calgary herald is like i I was reading one editorial in there it's like he's like i know somebody who works on a construction site and somebody came after they tested positive, they came onto the site and went back to work. And by the end of that shift, like seven people had COVID. <laughs> and uh, this was like, wow, there were restrictions in place. And it's like, this is the, the prevailing attitude. While there are restrictions in place, what's going to happen on the 16th when there are no more restrictions anymore? It's really quite remarkable to see this like outpouring of 
yeah, I don't want to call it protests either, because when you say COVID and protest, you think of, you know, I want my freedom kind of people. But mm-hmm. um, I mean, that, 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 that really is what it is. It, it's it, they are protests against. <laughs> it's it's so weird to phrase it this way. It's like protests against the government direction on COVID. Um, except now it's like the the pro um, COVID protection protest, which is just so bizarre. I'm looking at the Alberta vaccination numbers, and it's like 76.1 percent uh, for people 12 and over who've received one dose, which is not too shabby. Mm. Um, but then it's 66% for fully vaccinated, which are getting like better than a lot of places like Florida and that's true. And most of the United States, but still we're also still talking about 12 and over like populations eligible for the vaccine. I don't know how this works out in Alberta, but I know when you um, go to the Wellington Dufferin Guelph vaccine data page, when you click on the thing that shows the per, the percentage of vaccination for the entire region, uh, the entire population, so people from zero to however old people are, uh, you typically shave off about ten percent. Mm-hmm. So right now, Alberta, like a little over half of Alberta's population is fully vaccinated, and this is a week and a half till all the restrictions come off. It's just. Again, it, it's you know we're trying to gaze into a foggy crystal ball and trying to find out where we are, and that's that that's difficult even for places like us who are, you know, as close to fully vaccinated as one you would as you know initially thought we could possibly get. We're trying to push it forward, but I mean, when you're thinking about you know the limited or the more limited vaccine uptake and this, what if what effect Delta is going to have? It's not great, and it, it's just, you know, he's already tying one hand behind the province's back um, before we even know what the full picture is. And, you know, I, I'm not sure what it's a native, so we can, like, for the bragging rights. Because that's what it feels like, because Danielle Smith, who, um, <laughs> to borrow a phrase from us, previous american president who's a real beauty um <laughs> you know she goes on twitter and says like freedom one albertans take that you know uh no more masks no more lockdowns no more this freedom wins in alberta and, it, and i'm like well first of all you're the woman who led your party across the floor and then none of you won your seats in the next election and were mm-hmm. defeated by people at the actual party the wild roses yeah you're, you're not exactly great at predicting the future but second of all like at what cost is this just for the bragging rights to say, like, Alberta, first of the nation to be free of COVID restrictions, what, what? Because, I mean, that's that seems really stupid if that is the goal. But that seems to be the goal. Well, it's it's in line with their philosophy. I, I, to me, this is to, it's to please the corporate friends who are whining about stuff, be it mm-hmm. uh, the the tourist trade or uh, you name it, the oil patch. That That's part of what it's about. But philosophically, and getting back to the uh, the the cuts you were talking about, particularly in healthcare, that that was attack that an attack that stalled mm-hmm. because of the pandemic. But they're they're rebooting it. I mean, you you'd mentioned the the rollbacks there, where it was like three percent for the nurses, four percent for the support staff, and that's with zero increases. So you're getting a cut. Then there's no there's no improvements there right so the essential workers aren't so essential anymore because well everything's over everything's done so we can just get rid of right them. but right. if you reach back and i think we talked about this or at least touched on it 
um, <clears throat> in the fall, there was that plan that came out where they had said that they were going to lay off 11,000 people in in the health in healthcare to save six hundred million dollars and they're going to start outsourcing stuff i'm not sure to what degree this has been rolled out yet for like laundry food preparation um getting rid of management positions which everybody kind of was like there's probably too many <laughs> middle managers and in, <laughs> in healthcare generally uh, in my opinion but and the coded language of finding efficiencies which means people fired and you get less money right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's stalled, and I think the idea of everything, all of this, <clears throat> is to reboot that now because they can say, "Well, everything's okay, so we don't, we can get rid of this, and we can close beds and close services." And they're saying, "Well, <clears throat> service reductions are kind of 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 normal. You know, this is a normal the ebb and flow. It's always the ebb and flow of of these things. The ebb and flow is going to be people filling those beds." Mm-hmm. With the Delta variant, and if they're not there, and if you don't, if you've pissed off the workers enough that they said, okay, just forget it. I'm just going to, you want attrition? Buy me out or do whatever, and I will leave. Mm-hmm. And then you don't have workers. And then they'll whine and say, well, in the work, we can't, we can't find anybody to do this. Mm-hmm. Well, you know why? Because you're cutting their wages. You're cutting their benefits. You're farming out their work to the lowest common denominator, mm-hmm. which pleases the friends. Right, and that's the 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 government corporate relationship. It's it's inescapable. That that is <clears throat> part of what is going on. Other than trying to pretend, like, why pretend everything is okay when it's not okay? Even Ontario, right? Mm-hmm. Even Ontario, who who work in parallel to Alberta in terms of of philosophy and conservative approach. The resistance, like masks, masks <laughs> in all of the schools for all mm-hmm. ages, was just announced. Right. Mm. I know there's a lot of people not happy with the Ontario plan, but at least something like that. Like Alberta's not even doing that. Alberta is pretending it's classic. They're just pretending everything's okay and it's going to go away, which they did at the beginning of the pandemic. You remember, Ken? Oh, it's just the flu. It's yeah. just a flu like thing. So and then when it becomes clear that it's not and people are dying, then, you know, it changes for a time, but this is them pretend, oh, you know, it'll be fine. I mean, there's no, it's not fine. It is not fine. (laughs) I mean, there's no doubt it's about the bottom line and, you know, they're practically going around saying, well, the, you know, all our COVID spending, like the, the budget's too high. We have a big deficit now. We got to cut and it's like, okay, so you're going to cut on the backs of the people who, you know, you were talking about, they were the heroes and it's like, well, who's, you know, keeping the hospital running. It's the nurses who's keeping the hospital clean. It's the janitors. And on, on the side of it, it's like, I don't even think it's to the benefit of corporate, donors and friends because i mean those are the same people who are like also saying um if we don't want to lock down again we don't want to close again the way to do that is for like physical distancing and masking up and making sure people are get vaccinated you know it's the the province can still run while everybody's in a mask (laughs) it's um oh yeah you know that that's kind of the the corporate point of view of it too and on, on just just like on a purely political point on on this like the ndp is kicking their ass right now in fundraising and you could understand it back in when was it 2014 2015 um when it was like a a divided right in alberta um plus like just on we with conservative leadership in general like the the nosedive and oil prices after years of you know top shelf everything but there's none of that excuses now it's all on kennedy and he 
Kennedy, Kenny, <laughs> and he's he's letting his ass get kicked by Rachel Notley by, in, I, and I think he's like being driven by this idea. I'm going to be like the first in Canada to knock this stuff off, um, but all he's doing is like feeding her eventual return to <laughs> to the prime minister to not the prime minister's office to the premier's office. Uh, I mean, there's still a lot of road between now and the next Alberta election, but you know, at the same time, that's going to be a long road if this go if if the worst possible scenario comes about, and there's no reason to think that there that that the worst possible scenario won't be realized. Uh, it's delusional, sorry. delusional yes. stuff. Yeah, yes. <laughs> I guess we're out of time. Sorry, <laughs> I could okay. talk about that for days, but yeah. <laughs> Speaking of the worst possible scenario, I kid. I know. I know. Stephen Harper has his fans, um, but he's been making. Uh, he's he's appeared back in the media this week. Um, he did a podcast interview where he had some choice words about the current government's COVID response. But uh, there was also this poll done by McLean's, which was interesting, um, because in the poll. It wondered what would happen if Stephen Harper came back and was conservative party leader again. It turned out, uh, while Justin Trudeau in a direct head-to-head competition between a conservative party led by Stephen Harper would likely still win, uh, Stephen Harper has a better chance of beating Justin Trudeau than Aaron O'Toole does, which... Actually, I'm not sure who the winner is in here because that's not great for Justin Trudeau, but it's not really great for Aaron O'Toole either. <laughs> no, and it must have been that cameo on, Mur- on Murdoch Mysteries that put him over the top, right? It's like that's that's why I'm going with with Harper. Yeah, I, I love these sort of out there scenarios. I, I, Harper was pretty clear in that interview. I'm not sure if you read the Precy or watched any of it. I saw some bits and pieces, which is all I could stomach. Um, mm-hmm. That's just my politics, but anyway, we're we're giving this a shot, right? He kind of he said that he doesn't really follow uh, Canadian politics anymore. He's no. checked out of Canadian politics, were his exact words, and he only follows American politics now. So that's yeah. a pretty heavy signal to people that he's not coming back, that he's not going to be the savior. And this is the problem when any party, any stripe, looks for their savior to pull them out of the wilderness and and take them to victory and. We're probably not going to see that with O'Toole. Harper did had to take a ton of time to build, finally get a majority, right? There was the minority mm-hmm. and then kind of the situation that Trudeau is in now in some ways. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this is they, they want to sort of project onto Harper all those things that they wish that they had right now. But again, this this and supposedly Harper doesn't do a lot of interviews like that. I don't think he was ever very comfortable in that chair. But he yeah. is when it's um, he's directly involved, I think, with the um, the person behind the American Optimist podcast, which is what mm-hmm. he's on. Lon- Lonsdale is his name. He's an advisor Lonsdale, to yeah. Lonsdale Institute, which is guess what? A venture capital firm. Yeah. So that it's pretty much a, a infomercial for, for this guy's <laughs> organization or organizations. And interestingly, one of the things that came up was uh how this it, it got to talking about taxes and, and this company had moved from california to texas like um uh tesla did right mm-hmm. but at least tesla actually produces stuff whatever you think of elon musk there's a product at the end of the line venture yeah. capital is just 
is this amorphous thing, right? And you're <laughs> saving taxes. I guess this is just the this is the usual stuff. And this is actually red meat to a lot of conservatives. They really love that kind of stuff, right? But but Harper's also been on. I'm not sure when it was, but it was mentioned that he was on Ben Shapiro. Woo. And mm-hmm. uh, what was that? Was it Prager U? I've never. Re- I see them in passing sometimes, but Prager so U. Just, yeah. Prager U. Yeah. Is yeah. it Prager U? I've only ever seen yeah. it writing. I've never actually heard it pronounced because yeah, there's a pra- Prager in town. Um, <laughs> a no dude. relation. But yeah, no relation. Obviously. Uh, well, maybe it could be. I don't know. But yeah. So this he's 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 still orbiting in the in that circle where they they love him, but mm-hmm. it's. That that love isn't gonna is gonna translate to helping the Canadian conservatives. If one of the things coming out of the guy's mouth is like, "Well, I don't really follow Canadian politics anymore," uh, so well, that I, means he doesn't follow Canadian political money anymore, right? So that's he's thrown his hat in with his friends in the South, which is a natural home, I think, for him, right? Well, one could argue Stephen Harper never followed Canadian politics to begin with. He's always been an, like an American neocon. Um, yeah, he's just that's had a good to- argument. He just had the extreme misfortune of being born on this side of the border, so he couldn't run for uh, office in the United States. But, you know, it, it is telling. He's given, like, one Canadian interview. He had, like, a book that came out about his time as, you know, in politics a couple of mm. years ago. And he, he did one interview with Global. And, um, you know, they're... they're he he goes to the United States and he does these podcasts with like, people like Ben Shapiro, who's like one of these like scarecrow conservative intellectuals who is not very intellectual or compelling. Yeah, it should be both. yeah, Eric yeah. Gordon, intellectual for Ben Shapiro. Exactly. It, like, why is this guy a thing anyway? That's America, right? <laughs> right. So you know he he goes on them. These people do not know the nuances of Canadian politics, so they they're not going to like have any gotcha questions or anything like that so this is why he enjoys them he get because he's like the canadian conservative in like the american mold and he, you know he was elected in like ultra liberal lefty canada and that really showed the you know he, it was the ultimate canadian variation of like own the libs was stephen harper was elected three times um but yeah he it just, you know, the interview, I did watch a portion of it. And yeah, it's with this guy who's, I mean, I looked at some of his other guests uh, that he's had on his podcast. And like, you have real podcast issues. If like one of the most interesting guests you've had on your podcast is Stephen Harper. Um, <laughs> but but I mean, that's when you look at his guest list, that's like, oh, wow, Stephen Harper. Who's uh, this? But like the topics they were addressing were like China and mm-hmm. and the and like the debt, like debt politics not just canadian but like american debt spending and all that and it's like well you can Stephen harper's free to talk about whatever the heck he wants but you know on the yeah. china, on the china piece he spent years basically trying to ingratiate ingratiate himself to china to get chinese business like well how's how'd that work out <laughs> you know how's yeah. how are how are canadian chinese relations now and Ask then on the, the michaels issue, yeah yeah, exactly. And then on the debt issue, it's like, well, from 2008 to 2014, the conservative government, I mean, most of their mandate, the conservative government ran deficits. And the, the 2015 balancing of the budget is like hugely specious because of like some slick accounting. So it's like, come on, is is he an expert on these areas? No, but <laughs> but that's the kind of nuance that yeah. Joe Lonsdale isn't going to get into. <laughs> 
Yeah, because the, the argument will be, well, Trudeau's is so much bigger, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. ours was, we had to do it because of 08. But Trudeau's is so much. And he did, well, he did take a couple of not so thinly veiled shots at right. Trudeau in Canada, even though his, his experience Trudeau. seems to be all, all American these days. <laughs> talking about how there's too much spending. And what was that line about the, the woke and the social justice types? They're ruining absolutely everything, aren't they? All those woke and social justice people. But he there was a comment about vaccines. Mm-hmm. We asked him about the, the vaccine rollout specific to Canada. And he said, we never had any problems getting vaccines in advance. We, meaning, I guess, his conservative government. It's like, vaccines for what? Yeah. Back in his yeah. day, it was like, it's just normal. Okay, we got some flu vaccines. We got these, this and that vaccines. Not for, like, the global pandemic that we've never seen in anyone's lifetime right now. Like, th- this is not an even comparison, right? This is like, well, we never had any trouble mm-hmm. getting the stuff for the thing that's ravaging the earth. Right. You know, so it's not, it's not really, regardless of how you feel about Trudeau and the liberals and the vaccine rule, that's not really a fair comparison, but... Well, it's also not and if fair. you want to look at the American model, it's like, right. who should be able to afford the absolute best of everything, because it's one of the richest countries, if not the richest in the world, uh, you know, you need to take a little bit deeper look at that in terms of how that's working out, right? Yeah, like, on the vaccine piece of it, like, every drop of vaccine that comes into Canada is ending up in somebody's arm, or we're sharing it with, like, COVAX or other people, but... Um, in the United States right now, like they have, you know, doses and doses coming off the assembly line and they're having to like twist arms. I mean, not so much lately, but you know, up until a few weeks ago, they've had to twist arms to get those out. It's like, yeah, we were a little, because we don't have vaccine creation capacity here. We got, we got it a little late, but like we're now the most vaccinated country in the world. And that's not small potatoes. Like Trudeau isn't a hundred percent responsible for that, but he's not, he hasn't been irresponsible on that account either. So, you know, what are you trying to get at? You know, for someone who, for, for someone who's not into Canadian politics anymore, we mm-hmm. seem to have, we seem to be fairly certain that we could do a much better job than the current guy, but uh, he's, he's not really paying attention to politics anymore. And kind of going back to, to topic one, mm-hmm. it's like, when you think about it, who is really paying other, like we, we've given them, a quarter of the show, but in terms of who I, the average voter in Canada is really paying attention to what Stephen Harper has to say, I don't think it's very many. I mean, this is like a subset of a subset of the of the Canadians conservatives will you know will hang off every word that Stephen Harper has to say. Right. But re- I mean, realistically, is it going to have any bearing on any writing in the nation? I don't. I don't think so. I mean, if anything, it'll have a negative effect because people, I mean, keep your beak uh, out. You've had your day. Yeah, right. it's, <laughs> right? it's, it's, the, it's the Canadian equivalent of like we ate better under Brezhnev. Like a lot of Canadian serv- conservatives think <laughs> we did better. We did better under Harper. And that's I mean, that's kind of the long of the short of it. All it does is reinforce that people aren't 100 percent behind a tool. But we are one- the same since Robert Borden left us. Right. Yeah. Or whatever. <laughs> Right, but uh, we are a hundred percent over time, oh, okay. so we have to wrap up the show. Uh, that is it for this week's edition of Open Sources Guelph. You can stay connected to us at our website at opensourcesguelph.com. We're on Facebook at Open Sources Newswire, and we're on Twitter at OS underscore Guelph. You can listen to the show again by downloading it from our website every Monday. You can get it from the Guelph Politicast channel on Podbean or through your favorite podcast app on Apple, Stitcher, Google, or Spotify. 
Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson, or you can check out my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca. And I'm Scotty Hertz on Facebook, Scott Hertz on Twitter, and for all CFRU-related information beyond listening to this fine station right here at 93.3, check out CFRU.ca, and everything you need to know will be found there. Yes, indeed, and stay tuned for DJ Sounds Good to Me here at the top of the hour on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus, and Community Radio. We'll be back next Thursday at 5 p.m. for another Open Sources, and we will see you then. Yeehaw. <laughs>